tuned in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 350 of the Pacey Performance Podcast with Ed Gannon, who is head SNC coach at the Buffalo Sabres. So in this episode, we dive into hip and groin pain. So it's managing it, it's preventing it, it's monitoring it on a daily basis, and everything in between. But just before we do dive into this episode with Ed, I wanted to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a simple and free way to collect, analyze, and display data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. So we'll dive into some of the topics that we that we covered in the mastermind with Ender and, and Christian around reducing hip and groin injuries. Obviously, something that's prevalent in ice hockey, given the nature of the the sport. But in terms of screening for hip and groin injuries, what's your what's your thoughts on that, and what do you guys implement at the at the Sabers? And potentially, given a, a if you can um, thoughts on how people may th- not necessarily what they might do, but how they might think about it in other sports as well. Yeah. Uh, this is this is one of the, the the big benefits of moving over into ice hockey is looking at a very much a different uh, biomechanical requirement and skating certainly provides that when you're looking at, at sports like rugby or soccer where you know we're used to running mechanics and cutting mechanics and, and ice hockey has a, a very different profile mechanically from for skating so yeah we get a lot of um, athlete we get a lot of hip and groin uh, pain and issues uh, so from a screening perspective and this has evolved over quite a few years. The, the main things that we look at on a very frequent basis, and I can break down how frequently in, in a bit, we want to look at um, identifying pain provocation first and foremost. So uh, we want to identify whether we're getting any pain with certain movements. We want to look at range of motion. Um, we want to see if we're getting any inhibition with certain ranges of motion around the hip. Uh, we want to look at symmetry. With ranges of motion, we want to identify if we're getting any imbalances with hip range of motion left to right. And um, we want to look at some force thresholds. So are we seeing any strength imbalances? And are we seeing any imbalances with certain strength ratios? So those are kind of the key the key areas that we look at. Um, and in terms of the actual methods, the the, the real fundamentals are squeeze testing, adductor squeeze testing. And we'll utilize about 60 degrees of hip flexion. The literature we've published is, is around 90, 45, and zero degrees. And our two kind of go-tos are 60 degrees hip flexion and zero degrees hip flexion. So taking our athletes into longer lever positions um, and identifying one, if we get any any um, pain. pain provo- if we do get pain, then it's a red flag for some intra-articular hip dysfunction or maybe some soft tissue dysfunction in the adductors. Um, with those measures as well, we were able to look at force outputs and we utilize certain technologies that, that give us um, force outputs, just peak forces when we're doing squeezes at 60 degrees and squeezes at, at zero degrees hip flexion. And there are numerous tools you can utilize for that, but these are, these are really fundamental uh, um, metrics for us to understand. Do we have dysfunction? Do we have lower force outputs? Are we de- you know do we have inhibition, and do we have pain? So that's uh, that's definitely a big starting point. Um, we can also look at um, ratios as well. So we can look at adductor to abduction ratios, and this is this is a really well published um, 
uh, marker and something that is really useful in all sports. Uh, Christian Forberg has sort of suggested, particularly soccer players, that you want a ratio around one for healthy hips. And we've seen in, in ice hockey research that anything below 0.8 of an adduction to abduction squeeze ratio at around about hip flexion uh, at uh, 90 degrees is indicative of adductor risk uh, or hip and groin injury risk. So if the adductors are not strong enough uh, relative to, to the abductors with a ratio of around one from a Newton output, then that's a red flag. So, so these are sort of key measures that we should be utilizing on a regular basis um, to identify risk factors as well. The other thing that we have to be looking at are uh, ranges of motion around the hip. So we, we need to look at strength, we need to look at um, symmetries, we have to also look at ranges of motion. And hip internal range of motion is critical for ice hockey players, um, and so is external rotation. If we drop below a certain hip internal rotation, around about 30 degrees, it's very indicative that there's something pathological going on inside that hip joint that could predispose them to injury. And this is definitely a, a field test measure that, that you can implement on a very frequent basis because it's not invasive, has a low, it doesn't have a real metabolic cost. So identifying um, internal to external range of motion, active and passive is really important as well because what an athlete can generate from a passive stretch or a passive test might not be the same from what they can actually initiate when we're active when we're asking them to actively develop internal range of motion space and again we want that ratio to be as close as possible to one between active to passive on hip internal and external rotation so if we don't get that that's a red flag and if we drop below a certain degrees at hip internal rotation that's a red flag as well and the other sort of area one last area really that we can measure that's objective and I think is important and a lot of this sort of stems from from Ender's research around intersegmental control is looking at ankle range of motion, uh, ankle dorsiflexion, the terminal force transducers, the ankle complex, really important for how we translate force up through the kinetic chain and through the hip. If we've got dysfunction there, if we've got poor range of motion, particularly with our ice hockey players who spend so much time in a, at a fixed mm. position in the hockey boot, then that's also a risk factor for us as well. And a lot of the players that I have who have hip and groin problems, whether it be an intra-articular hip issue or if it be an adductor strain, they have poor control around the ankle, poor range of motion around the ankle. So that's another area that I think can be implemented pretty easily into an applied environment. So are some of these, what you've mentioned there, implemented on a daily basis as a, as a monitoring tool? And if so, which which ones? Yep. So certainly anything that's range of motion oriented okay. can be implemented on a daily basis. And with our players who we have red flagged for risk around hip and groin um, injury or have pain or dysfunction, very much on a weekly basis, uh, you know, two, three times a week, we'll be looking at checking those those ranges of motion, particularly after a game to see if we're getting any inhibition. I, I think from a, a squeeze, a force production perspective, you know, it's really down to how often you can safely implement those, uh, those strategies. At the NHL level, it's very difficult for us to get our athletes through that type of testing as often as we would like. I certainly try and aim to bring that type of testing in um, at the end of, of my season phases. So I normally get to periodize my season into four to five blocks based on 
travel, schedule, natural breaks within the season. And normally when we come to an end of that block, it coincides where we might have a couple of extra practice days before we have another game. So that would be when I try to bring in more of, more of my neuromuscular force testing like groin squeezes, um, adduction to abduction ratios. So as frequently as you can safely bring those into your program, if you're working in an environment that's a Saturday to Saturday, it can just form part of your um, strength training um, stimulus. You know, it fits into that testing equals training, training equals testing paradigm, which we all like to sort of try and um, emulate, but it's very difficult to. But, you know, you have more freedom in that way. I, I think that in my training program, isometrics form an incredibly vital component of, of how I maintain motor unit recruitment at various lengths. So if you have more time in the week and you can bring out your testing devices to just do the same type of measure, that, the same type of movement that you would do with the test anyway, you might as well collect some numbers on it. So you know, if you have that freedom, you should definitely be doing that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how often I would, would bring that type of measurement in you know as often as I can but for me it probably happens four times five times a season including you know pre-season testing is there anything additionally that you would do isometric wise over and above the same positions that you want to test and use that as the training stimulus as well yes yeah so okay and I'll, I'll, this season's this season's been a particularly interesting one from a learning perspective because you know whilst the NHL season is difficult and a high game frequency anyway this year has been even more condensed. So we were operating around about a game every 1.4 days this year. Um, so we really were, were tight for time. So yeah. we, you know, that, as you can imagine, that limits how, how much heavy isotonic training you can perform because there's a metabolic cost of that. There's a big central aspect of that as well. We don't want to keep compounding fatigue, but we also want to maximize strength and maintain strength as best we can. So isometrics certainly you know, form... Uh, an important part of how we train because we can isolate joint angles that we deem important for maximizing strength adaptation. Uh, we can do multiple um, overcoming isometrics, build up time under tension. We get that motor unit recruitment response, but we don't necessarily get the same fatigue. We don't get that same metabolic cost. We don't get that same residual effect that might carry over into the days that follow. So it's a really valuable stimulus for us in, in the environment I work in. So yeah, with, with the adductors, we're always trying to inject an isometric stimulus where we can take them into ranges that we deem to be at risk. And you don't necessarily have to go in with super maximal overcoming isometrics or ballistic isometrics, but certainly yielding isometrics where we develop more time under tension at those longer muscle lengths are very valuable. So we can take our athletes into positions where we may be um, we may be working more on the descending limb of the force length tension relationship, the area where we deem them to be at greater risk, where we might not have as good a, a motor unit recruitment um, and activation potential, and we can we can take our guys into uh, time under tension. So exercises like Copenhagen's um, are really valuable for us. Um, we can do long lever um, side plank ISO holds. And um, at times, if I can manipulate smaller coach-to-player ratios, we can do manual isometrics as well. So they, they certainly form a cornerstone of my training program. And what's great about isometrics as well is that there is evidence to suggest that um, there are a little bit 
of up and down carryover within sort of 20 to 40 degrees of the, the joint that you're isolating. So you do get a bit of carryover. So you, know, you can work multi-joint angles, but you can also be sure if you do work multi-joint, you have a little bit of, um, of activation up and below that specific angle that you're working at, then you're covering a lot of bases in terms of activating muscle fiber at different length tension aspects. Um, so from an injury resistance perspective, particularly around the adductors, really valuable. But also I, I use them as well for sagittal-based unilateral isometrics for potentiation combined with, with dynamic movements like a complex um, as part of our training protocol to maximize strength and improve power. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So if you want to check out the full episode with Ed, it's episode number 350 and can be listened to on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I'll chat to you next time.